Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again everybody and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in New York City, and we're doing an international episode today. We have a first-time guest, although in a sense he's been on because... Uh, He's generally attached at the hip to uh, a person who has been the guest, which is another Irishman by the name of Dara O'Kearney. But Dara is not on the podcast today. Instead, I have his better half, for better or for worse, in sickness and health, the very talented poker player himself with over 600,000 in total live earnings. He is... In parts unknown, somewhere in Europe, we're about to find out. But please welcome a first-time guest, David Lappin. David, how are you? Great to be here, uh, Clayton. I, I was so relieved when you said attached at the hip. I, th- I thought you were going somewhere else with that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, d- delighted, delighted to finally make it as a guest in my own right. Uh, obviously, always have to follow in Darrell Kearney's coattails. But... Um, you know what? It's lovely to be on. And uh, just for clarification, I'm actually in the beautiful city of Prague right now. I'm at the EPT Eureka Prague Festival, and it's uh, it's been a very nice time, actually. It's a beautiful city. Yeah. Every, anyone who's ever been to Prague can tell you it is just a gorgeous place. And uh, definitely rather be there than Kiev right now. For sure, for sure. It's And it's not even like too far away, I suppose, from here. And it's very much in the minds of everybody when you chat to a taxi man on the way here or, you know, pretty much anybody. It's all people are talking about. Obviously, the, um, the, the situation is very concerning. On my route in from the airport to the hotel, uh, I went past the Russian embassy and it had been graffitied and there was a protest outside and a lot of police presence to sort of, I guess, protect whoever was inside. But uh, yeah, it's it's a, needless to say, it's a very hot topic right now and, uh, and cause for concern across Europe. Yeah, and being that close uh, to where all the action is, uh, I'm sure that it is kind of on everybody's mind. I mean, it's it's the biggest news in the world right now and you're, you're awfully close to there. Uh, but yeah, it's still a safe enough distance away, I suppose, in Prague. So what do you, are you, how's the EPT going out there? Was today the main event or what are you playing? The main event starts tomorrow. I'm not actually playing the main event. I was here for the sort of first week, the national week, if you like, the Eureka week, and that incorporated a, a couple of 1Ks, a 2K high roller, uh, another 1K and another 550. So I've been playing all this sort of cheap stuff. The 5K starts tomorrow, but I will be in the wind by Friday. Uh, I'm going to be back in Malta next week. Uh, Darrow Carney and uh, a couple of other Irish guys who, who made the trip will be staying on for the um, EPT, so I'll be wishing them luck when I leave. But fingers crossed for me, I just bagged up literally moments ago a stack in the high roller. So I we're almost in the money, I'd say 10 from the money, and we have to go back maybe with about 180 people left. And oh. a pretty tasty uh, 400k up top or something in that region. So fingers crossed for a good day tomorrow. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, I see we have you have six hundred thirty-eight thousand in recorded live earnings on the uh, Hendon mob. So if you manage to win this high roller, David, I think you'll be in the Millionaires Club. 
yeah, it will probably take that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, my my live record is is probably fairly reasonable. It probably looks like a, a journeyman poker player who's been on the circuit for a decade, but always playing sort of five hundred and one k buy-ins for the most part. I think I've played the main event a couple of times and and maybe ten or eleven EPTs over the years, but uh, very much been a, a sort of a loyal grinder on the sort of one k circuit in Europe, I suppose. And uh, yeah, my, my CV live in terms of tournaments reflects that for sure. Obviously, uh, most of my volume is online down the years, but uh, I'm, a, I suppose, a jack of all trades these days. I like to uh, mix in both. And now that we're allowed post lockdown phase of the pandemic, it's great to be back out on the road. Well, you co-host the award-winning Chip Race podcast along with the aforementioned Dara. By the way, is that going to be really hard for you to travel without him? Is that are you going to have separation anxiety at all? Oh, I thought you were going to say, is that going to be hard for me to be on a, a an award not winning podcast right now? Uh, which, which which I assure you will be absolutely fine. Uh, no, uh, I'll joke aside there. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm perfectly capable of uh, making my flights most of the time anyway, uh, without Dara's help. But uh, we will be on a lot of trips together over the next few months. We've got three big Unibet uh, live events coming up, one in Tallinn, one in Malta and one in Dublin. So I will no doubt uh, have his company for all of those. And then there's the Irish Open to look forward to in a few weeks' time. In fact, the, the live schedule for the next three to four months which pretty much brings us up to the world series is hectic i think i'm going to be out on the road maybe every second week but ah, that's a good thing it's uh, i think my girlfriend at this point is sticking me around the house so she'll probably be happy with the break yeah for sure i mean we all need a break from our significant others every so often now the thing is david I, of course i like to uh joke around with you and with dara uh two really great guys i like joking around with both of you about how close you are as friends and uh at the bottom of it all is a, is a is a dramatic and intense jealousy on my part because i have no such poker bro bromance with anyone yeah no it certainly is a poker bromance uh dara will describe it accurately as uh i met him in 2010 when i returned from america i had been living in connecticut for quite a few years well, I started off as an online poker player. So when I came back to Ireland, I didn't know anyone on the Irish poker circuit. And I befriended Dara early on. I actually invited him on a mandate uh, where we went for dinner together uh, in the early days. And uh, immediately a friendship was born. And uh, yeah, we've been thick as thieves ever since. Yeah, I mean, you guys play a lot of tournaments together. You travel together quite often. Uh, as mentioned, you co-host your uh, podcast and by the way yes thank you for slumming with us on this non-award winning podcast we do appreciate you you coming I've been trying to get you on for quite a while uh, you know people really wanted to hear the other half of the story since David was I mean since Dara was talking so much trash about you when we had him on so we wanted to give you a chance to defend yourself against some of his claims of course I'm joking I, I'm I imagine if he was trashing me, it was probably all accurate, to be honest. <laughs> he, there's plenty of there's plenty of uh, fuel for that, so uh, I imagine he, uh, yeah, he was probably telling no no lies. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. So uh, yeah, congrats on bagging. I, I hate to say that because you haven't actually won anything yet, but it's it always feels good to put chips in a bag, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, no, they they did the sort of 
quite tantalisingly close to the money, which I honestly don't mind. There was a lot of people giving out in the room saying, oh, this isn't okay. You know, we're about eight or ten people from the money. Why don't we just play on for half an hour? I actually love the idea that eight or ten poor people will go home with no money, having had to make it all the way in here again tomorrow. I think that's great. I think if you're not a masochist, then you have no business being a tournament poker player. You have oh. to love the pain as well. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, we're, we're in it for the torture at the end of the day. So Completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, you, you give yourself a bit of a journeyman status for all of your many years in the game. Um, but you also said that you didn't have any any friends in the Irish poker community. So did you start off like so many did uh, kind of playing online in mom's basement or what's your uh, what's your backstory a little bit? I started maybe later than some people. I, I finished college I spent about seven or eight years in college and then came out as a poker enthusiast and uh, immediately got a job as a writer for the national broadcaster in Ireland and unfortunately after about a year and a half of that uh, I was binned my tv show that I created was binned and I had sort of over that year year and a half become better than recreational at poker I was probably just about a winning player and uh, I had a lot of free time on my hands now, so I decided I'd better uh, p- play a little bit more poker, see if I can make some beer money, maybe even make some rent money to keep myself afloat while I was waiting on another writing job. And that just snowballed into my career. It was all online initially. I grinded it up in the, the $24.45 man circuit on full tilt, very much a sit and go player for a couple of years, and then sort of moved into MGTs online, had some very good years, maybe 09, 2010 and then went and played a live tournament in Barcelona in 20, actually the end of 2009 that was, and had a roughly 100K score, which sort of immediately gave me a bankroll that I could play bigger. And since then, sort of, you know, the wolf was never at the door, if you like. I, I was always able to um, maintain a, a pretty big role and play the games that I thought I was still very profitable in. There was a period of time where the EPTs were soft. There was certainly like two or three soft ones. Deauville, Barcelona, Prague spring to mind, um, maybe even San Remo. And I would target those kind of softer 5Ks. And But again, the bread and butter was mostly the, the 1K, 2K circuit. And I would do all those national tour events. And uh, yeah, it was, it was on the road. So it was sort of maybe three weeks of online, a week of live at that point. And uh, at that point, I'd obviously moved back to, the, to, to Ireland as well. And then maybe six years ago, I left Ireland and went to Malta and have continued to do the, the live pro online pro mix uh, since being there. But obviously, in the, in the meantime, I became an ambassador for Unibet. And I guess my time is now split in another way between poker and poker content. Um, I'm writing a decent amount these days and there's a lot of prep work going into the, the chip race and the other uh, the other sh- sort of spin-off show we do of that, the lock-in. And inside Unibet, there's a lot of consulting and various other, uh, maybe more boring to your listener jobs that I that I have taken on over the years as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a much more mixed bag these days. Yeah, a mixed bag and it kind of keeps it interesting uh, because at the end of the day, we're, we're playing cards. Uh, sometimes you're playing online. Sometimes you're writing about the game. Sometimes you're doing research for your podcast. Sometimes you're playing live. Uh, it, it does kind of give something that might become mundane a little bit of uh, variety. Would you agree? Totally. And I suppose for anyone who does either listen to the podcast or watch the lock-in or read my articles, 
I usually fire a reasonable amount of shots as well. I suppose I feel quite free in the sense that Unibet have always given Dara and I, I wouldn't say carte blanche, but they've trusted us to curate the show we want to make. And we don't mind being controversial if we really genuinely feel like something controversial is worth talking about. And similarly with my writing job, the site I work for, do not receive any advertising from any poker sites. And this is my bugbear for a lot of years now. No, nothing personal to the individuals who work in some of these companies, because I think there's loads of great people out there. But the poker news and, and, and various other uh, news outlets uh, these days are all sort of either owned by or getting all their money from poker sites via advertising. And as such, they can't really be proper news sites. They're basically print media they're 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 sort of a trade press for the industry which is fine and that has its role and we want to promote and advertise the game but if you want to actually have harder takes and sort of maybe take a, a deep dive and a closer look at something while potentially offending someone in, in the process uh, which i think is sometimes a risk you have to take uh, you just can't do it through those sites so the fact that i write for a company that have no interest really in the, in the poker world in that sense they don't get any of their advertising that way allows me to basically write what I want well that really makes me want to read what you write so uh, where can people find the uh, poker articles that you're that you're referencing the site is called Vegas Slots Online I guess not that is the actual name some people mispronounce that uh, I won't say how they do it but you can probably <laughs> imagine how the middle word might get might get twisted around um, and uh, no they're you know uh, the content manager in there is a great friend of mine and he approached me and sort of said look we'd really like to give you your own column effectively and you'd be free to write whatever you want more or less you know occasionally obviously they do pitch me ideas but most of the time I am pitching the ideas to them and they pretty much always take me up on what I want to write so um, that's yeah for me that's the really important thing same with the chip race same with any content is just having the freedom to basically have the opinion you want and say what you want I think it's uh, it's the death of both journalism and and even you know the kind of entertainment mediums that we both occupy uh, when you're curtailed by a paymaster so it's it's uh, it's, it's great to have that artistic license yeah, it is great to have, as you put it, carte blanche to do and say what you want. And yet, you know, before you agreed to come on the podcast, you had a whole list of demands for me. You said I'm not allowed to make fun of your accent or talk about <laughs> Lucky Charms cereal or leprechauns. Or I, I, I had this whole list here, and it's so hard as I, as I hear you talk to hold up my end of the bargain. But I'm trying to restrain myself. Yeah, well, hopefully there's a, a facility with how you broadcast this where maybe there can be some subtitles for people who don't understand the Irish accent. <laughs> yeah, no, we read you loud and clear, David. I'm just I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, so, uh, yeah, it sounds like you've got a full schedule, a lot on your plate. Um, do you ever get sick of poker? Or do you ever just want to uh, think about something else for a month? And, and do you ever get an opportunity to do so? Uh, I do like a, an occasional break from it. I suppose I would describe myself as somebody who's very plugged into the grid, the mainframe of poker. There's very rarely a, a news story that I don't 
get a tip on early or I'm aware of. So I guess I'm very um, tuned into all of that stuff. And I suppose you have to be when you're making as much content as we do. Often uh, so much of it is topical. Um, and, and when you combine the writing side of that, again, I'm trying to break stories uh, when I can too. So, yeah, definitely when you never feel like you switch off and Twitter is always kind of there in the background as a, a vehicle to get your information as much as anything else. I noticed you in a Twitter scrap today. I very much enjoyed that. I was writing that earlier. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, you know, maybe every couple of months I'll sort of take a, a few days away with the family and I will pretty much put the phone away for that, um, save a couple of maybe a morning and, a, and an evening tweet. And uh, I suppose over the 15 years I've been playing, there have been palpably two periods where I kind of felt burnt out by the game and did take larger chunks of time off. The first time I did that was a few months. And the second time I did it was probably yeah, a couple of months as well. And I guess it was, yeah, I was just burnt out and sort of had to reinvigorate myself and maybe get the love back for the game again. You know, it often could co coincide with some run bad and I was probably downswing in both cases and maybe life apart from poker was also downswinging in certain respects. And I think that can sometimes be the occasions in your life where you want to take a step back and have a bit of time. And, you know, the, the beauty of poker is poker is always there. There's always a card game as tempting as the big thing that's on this weekend or the sparkly thing that seems like, oh, you can't miss it. Everyone's going to be at it. Uh, in reality, there's just another one of those in another few weeks time and you, you, you're you never going to really be without a game. Yeah, the the FOMO is real, but but the, the actual uh, game is always going to be there. You're not actually missing out on anything and it's so important to occasionally recharge, reset and, you know, just... Uh, to me, that's been one of my secrets for keeping my passion for poker alive and strong for all these years that I've been playing is that I, I'm always also involved in comedy on one level or another. So I have another another shiny thing to look at and kind of I need both in my life in order to feel complete, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. And I think for me, it was always a creative outlet that I wanted. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a screenwriter or a TV writer. And when that fell through, I sort of had, as I said, the, the poker career kind of snowballed and I really enjoyed that. So I was doing that for a long time. And then that was probably the first itch around year five or six in poker. I thought to myself, no, I, I still want to be a writer. I still want to do that. And that was probably part of the motivation for taking the break and going back to writing for a little while. But what ended up happening was poker sort of sucked me back in again and, and poker can do that to you so in a way the chip race i think and its inception around 2015 sort of was the first compromise and it was the first time i could kind of scratch the creative itch while also being in the poker world doing a poker thing and i guess a lot of the content that I've ended up making over the last five, six years, most of it in collaboration with Dara, has been the best way I can still scratch that creative itch and not feel like I'm abandoning that side of my personality or that sort of ambition uh, completely. Although, you know, it's still not screenwriting and that's still probably the thing I want to get back to at some point if I can. But uh, for the moment, anyway, I'd look, I'm, I'm, I'm mad about poker. It's, it's such a wonderful game. I love the people. I love the lifestyle. Uh, I have a young family, a uh, little boy, Hunter, who's 
four. He's turning five very soon and an adopted son on the way. So, you know, there's a lot of excitement in the family for all of that. And, and I suppose when you're in that family building phase of your life, because I imagine in a few years time, it won't feel quite the same anymore um, because we'll be more stable and there'll be less change. Uh, I can probably have some more time and some brain space for, for other pursuits and uh, maybe getting back into some sport and maybe getting back into some writing uh, from the TV or film point of view. But for the moment, this is working very well and it's giving me balance. <laughs> I can imagine someone listening to you say that, uh, you know, you really want balance and stability in your life. So you gamble. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. But, 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 but you know what it was, you know, writing was so soul crushing i imagine you have relatable experiences because it's just so tough and it's a dog eat dog world in lots of ways and it's uh, a cruel sort of vulnerable place when you're putting yourself on the line whether it's the you do it in a doubly way because you're writing and performing your material for me it was always writing and then handing it over but when you do that you are sort of putting your soul on the page and if people don't like it or you don't get commissioned or people don't fully grasp what you're trying to do and then don't believe in it it can be very sort of emotionally devastating and I think uh, in a way poker became less of a gamble for me almost like my risk aversion drew me to poker because I felt like well it's a game that I can carve out this edge in and yes okay there's short term variance but actually if you're a winning player and in the first half of my career I was a much more substantial winning player relative to the general field uh, it was just such a great way to make money it was actually far less risky for me the biggest gamble was actually to fully go for writing I think that could have put me in the poorhouse yeah well there's nothing like handing over your full length screenplay to a man that you're 90% sure is going to throw it in the trash as soon as you leave so <laughs> exactly and that's exactly. a feeling that every uh, everyone that's you know not a, a a-list Hollywood screenwriter, but has written something, uh, has felt. Uh, now, a moment ago, I want to go back to something you've referenced, just in case people aren't on Twitter. Uh, a, a, a Twitter user named Tyler Patterson, uh, Tyler Poker is his uh, handle on Twitter. He, he tweeted this morning, as we record this on Wednesday, uh, the 9th of March, uh, he tweeted, a, steamed, a streamed heads-up poker battle between Sean Deeb and Angry Polak, who of course is Veronica, uh, but extra chips are awarded for the best roast jokes. Stapes, Clayton, Jamie, and Eric Seidel can be the judges. So I got somehow, I did not ask, I don't know Tyler Patterson, I did not ask to be roped into this, but I sort of took the bait and started judging the roast battle that ensued from there. And uh, Jamie jumped in, and of course Stapes had his political take on things. Uh, the only smart one is Seidel, who completely stayed out of it all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Eric's not on Twitter too much. He might, he might stumble into the Twitter sphere any day now and realize that he was being uh, spoken of. Uh, look, I, I was I was very much enjoying, I have to say, the Brill Deed battle going on this afternoon. And then when I saw you got roped in and all the others, uh, it just added another layer of humor for me. Yeah, um, a bit of I, mayhem, a little, little mayhem, mayhem. On, on Twitter today. But yeah, that is kind of what makes it interesting but yeah if you want me to judge the the jokes the jokes better be original it's like you know deeb is saying that veronica's a whore and she's saying he's fat i'm like you guys are gonna have to do better than that if you want to get points from me 
<laughs> well, they're not professional comedians, Clayton. You know, you, you would be the the one who could judge it maybe best. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, so I'm trying to I'm trying to give points, but there were a couple of good singers in there, and I think certainly the uh, the thread is worth reading. I'm sure most people listening to this already follow me on Twitter at Clayton Comic, and David, you're fairly active on Twitter as well. Yeah, at DK Lappin is my Twitter handle. I guess I post maybe eight or ten times a day. There's a couple of promotional ones in there. As I mentioned, I'm an ambassador for Unibet, so you will have to put up with a, a small amount of a peppering of Unibet promotion. If you can stomach that, I try to be a relatively humorous person and good-natured person and maybe spicy person who likes to cause some fights from time to time too. So maybe is worth the price of admission. I don't know. Okay, so during this podcast, you've already said that you you started playing poker so you could have some extra beer money and now you just said you like to fight so you're not breaking any irish stereotypes today ah uh, there it is there it is <laughs> <laughs> i had to i'm sorry you who had 22 up. minutes into the podcast 22 <laughs> minutes before you'd have to do before you'd have to do some paddy whackery you, yeah. you set me up so perfectly i had to i'm very <laughs> sorry for that all right why don't we do a hand do you want to talk about something you played today or, or some other hand that, that we should talk about no do you know I you messaged me about this yesterday and I had been playing the main event I actually built quite a good stack in the main and then managed to demolish my own stack in the main uh, impressively enough before the money uh, literally 25 minutes before the money in the main but there was one hand captured by poker news uh, there are some fantastic, uh, actually, young blood live reporters at this event. It's great to see them. Chatting to a guy called Callum today, lovely lad, who uh, I think he's only in the poker tournament uh, blogging game maybe less than six months um, post-pandemic. So uh, it's great to see us bleed some, some new talent in that front. But he captured, or maybe it wasn't him, it might have won the other bloggers, but they, they captured a very interesting hand I played on uh, maybe around dinner break of day one where I, I guess I just had to put my big boy pants on and there's just sometimes a situation in poker and I, and I think everyone out there could probably recognize it particularly in tournament poker where you open up a, a premium but not super premium hand and you get three bet by the table maniac who you're pretty sure from history uh, is going to be fearless down the street and you sort of feel, okay, well, there are maybe a couple of runouts where I can't be too heroic, but on a damn lot of runouts, I'm going to have to just strap in here and press the call button a few times. Okay, good. So we're setting things up here. Um, yeah, so it looks like he's reporting on two hands. It's listing here the uh, reporter's name is Matt Hansen. So. Uh, okay, okay, so I got, the, I got, it wasn't Callum, there is a guy called Callum in the room and he's a good lad, but I'm sure this guy Matt Hansen, uh, he, well, I know for a fact that he covered the hand perfectly because there, there isn't a, a bet size wrong in it. Alright, but you actually played the hand anyway, so why don't we hear it from your first por person uh, singular standpoint, so... Uh, Perfect. Yeah. So why don't you set things up for us? What's been happening? What's the, what's your image? What's his image? Where are we at? I think my image is probably fairly middle of the road, probably quite balanced, probably, you know, not loose aggressive, not tight aggressive, probably somewhere sort of fairly reasonable. Um, but I had had a bit of a card rush in the previous orbit, so it probably looked to anyone who was sort of 
paying attention that I, I was suddenly playing quite a few pots. The previous pot, I had opened pocket kings and got flatted um, by a player in position, and he was relatively short, so I check-raised him on a jack-5-4 board, and he ended up mucking. And then the very next hand, I looked down at queens. So very happy with this situation. I open to 2K, uh, big blind 1K, off my 77 big blind stack, 77K. And I get three bet by this maniacal uh, Englishman who I know is going to put me to the test in a lot of worlds. Uh, I decide that my queens sort of make a perfect flat here because if I four bet my queens, I'm not loving getting in against this five bet range and probably against this guy, I have to get it in against a five bet. Um, so rather than do that, I think there's a better way to skin this particular cat and I decide to flat. Um, in this situation, I guess a lot of his... Bluffs will contain an ace, so I'm definitely wary of the ace high board. On king high boards, obviously, his value may be, you know, ace king. Uh, he may even three better hand like king queen. He may have some poor kings. He might have like a king six suited, king seven suited. Those kind of hands sometimes get thrown in by guys. But I think I'm probably going to have to be stickier on a, a king x run out. And then obviously on a run out that includes small cards, I, I'm going to have to be very brave. Um, so I call the 6700. So yeah, he I make it 2K, he makes it 6700. Uh, I call the flop comes the 10 of clubs, 7 of clubs, 7 of spades. Okay, let's just slow it down just a little bit here, David. So um, you kind of ran through that rather quickly. I want to slow it down a little bit just to understand. So... We have what we think might be a, a pretty active image just because we've been getting hit with the deck recently, right? And now we are getting three bet and we're holding pocket queens. Correct. So uh, you feel like if you four bet, that's not the best way to go about it. And you touched on it, but can you just um, maybe elaborate on that a little bit more if you don't mind? Yeah, no worries. I think in this situation, you sort of have to be always thinking a street ahead. And, and clearly, if I uh, four bet here, I have to be willing to get my hand in. Uh, essentially, my four bet will be an induce. Um, and if he sticks me in for 77K, I guess my four bet might be to 16K, something like that would make sense. Uh, and that's certainly what I would do with kings and aces here and maybe even ace king. But with the queens, I feel like it's actually quite a nice hand to have as the top of my flatting range. I might also flat aces here some frequency, maybe 20% of the time, something like that. That's probably a nice thing to do too, to, to sort of set a trap and also uncap myself in certain situations. Um, and uh, yeah, so kind of liking the queens as a deceptively strong flat here. Um, the flop comes... 10, 7, 7, 2 clubs. I actually have the Queen of Clubs, and that's quite a useful card to have. Yeah, there so this is... Oh, sorry, David. Yeah, this is a great flop. Um, but I just want to uh, talk a little bit more about pre-flop, because I, I'd like to explore this with you. Um, you're up against the, as you described in the, the table maniac, and you yourself have a fairly, you know, aggressive or active image, just because of, you know, recency bias, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? Are we afraid of losing him if we make it 16? Or are we more afraid of having to call the whole 70K and and end up being up against uh, uh, aces or kings? Like which, which is the bigger fear? I think it's a bit of column A and column B, to be honest. I, I think if we uh, four better hand here, that's pretty dang strong. 
and I think he can definitely throw away a lot of his bluffs. He might still keep in his ace five suited as a, a maybe a good five bet bluff candidate, but most of his bluffs will probably fold at that point, and I want to keep them in. Obviously, they're the hands I'm in best shape against. Uh, secondly, if uh, we do look at the value portion of his five bet range, it should be aces and kings, maybe queens himself at a push, maybe ace king. And then if he's going to mix in some weaker hands, obviously because that's such a tight uh, premium range, he doesn't have to have too many bluffs. He probably just has to mix in maybe, you know, some frequency of wheel aces. Um, and may, may, maybe, I don't know, maybe for board coverage, he can he can put in uh, a 9-10 suited into his three betting range. But I don't think that ever maybe turns its hand into a five bet bluff either although sometimes you never know how maniacal the guy might be but uh, no I, I just in general I think it's much better to proceed with the call here I think generally speaking you're not going to be in great shape when you get in this number of bigs and also bear in mind we're probably two of the biggest stacks at the table you know most of the stacks at the table had between 20 and 40k so again not that there's a huge amount of ICM yet because we still have you know, a few hundred people to the money. We're probably only in the last maybe 40, 50 percent of the field. Um, you know, ICM is a creeping factor, too. And that, and that should probably be, you know, factored in as a small variable as well. OK, yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Uh, what do we think he would do if he has uh, a hand like uh, tens or jacks? We'd probably end up just uh, getting a flat in that case, right? I think it's pretty reasonable to mix in both, and I think a good strategy will probably, from his perspective, have three bets and have flats. I think if you uh, if you want to have a, a sort of a, a tougher-to-play range um, going forward down the streets, you want to probably have tens and jacks in both ranges. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant when we, if we choose to four-bet here, how do we expect him to respond with those hands? Oh, I get what you mean. Sorry. So if he has three, but I think he has to um, probably. Oh, Jax is a tough one, but I, I think that's probably part of the the problem he's made for himself. And, and maybe depending on my sizing, he can flat sometimes. But I, it is a very dark tunnel for him. And actually, I don't really hate a fold. Um, if he does choose to three bet the tens there, I, I don't hate a fold at all. If I four bet, uh, I think he's in pretty bad shape because my range when I do that, to be perfectly honest. So I, I think that would be a smart four, uh, smart three bet fold. Um, but you know, again, certain kinds of players, um, maybe when you choose to three bet, you're sort of three betting to five bet because that's sort of part of a balanced strategy from your perspective. And, and with this particular villain. Yeah, maybe, maybe he would have gone with Jax. I'm not sure. Maybe he would have gone with Jax. Yeah, which is, I guess, why you were saying you would have to make the crying call if he shoves. You're not going to love it because you will often be up against aces or kings or ace-king, of course. But, yeah, I'm wondering how, ma how many hands he'll convince himself he needs to five-bet that you're actually beating and beating handily. Like, if Jax or tens are in that range, then that makes four-betting more attractive right now, doesn't it? That's true. I suppose the biggest uh, point I would make is that, like, I remember when the game from maybe like 08 to 2011 was very clicky and people would sort of three bet, four bet, five bet. And it would always be sort of like a, a plan of action to sort of get in the, the last bet. 
Um, really, the game has become a lot more tippy-tappy over the last five or six years. I think informed by solver play, we've become a lot less likely to get into four and five bet wars. We're certainly you know, opening plenty and three betting and occasionally four betting. But actually, when you look at, uh, you know, solver play, particularly when you factor in some ICM, uh, as there always is some in tournament play, actually you end up in, in a game where most of the game is played around the open and the three bet. And actually you don't tend to get into these type of tick wars anymore. Oh, those 2008 pre-flop raise wars were a lot of fun. I mean, They sure were. <laughs> You could see some if you watch the old episodes of uh, World Series of Poker or World Poker Tour from back in those times. Uh, yeah, that game has uh, definitely moved on from that. Uh, no, we're going to get into a big, uh, you know, spitting battle here before the flop. Yeah, that's kind of over. Yeah. yeah. yeah All right. Yeah, and I, and, and I think the reason for that was because there was a, it turned out to be false assumption about what was the right way to play was that you should always be the aggressor. And actually, in reality, once Solver started, you know, taking a look at these types of hands, we realized that actually when people are laid a price, if the, the three better three X is the open or whatever it is, in fact, the, the best way to proceed is to flat and to be stickier down the streets, you know, on certain runouts and uh, and have the right number of bluffs and be balanced in all ways uh, with all parts of your range. I, I think that's pretty much the way the game is sort of um you know, move towards equilibrium, if you like. Yeah, I do. I do like. Now, do you guys have about the same stack? You said you're two of the bigger stacks at the table. Are you roughly the same? Yeah, he has me covered by about 10K. So okay, I think so. he has about 90K. I have 77, something like that. Okay, well then, you know, the only problem, I think, with just flatting this three bet is it doesn't exactly set up a comfortable SPR. Um Right. I mean, what what are we going to have in the pot now? If you call 67 and plus the blinds and annies, what are we yeah, looking we're at? Yeah, like? it's probably like four and a half, something yeah, like that, I would that, guess. That's one of the hardest SPRs to play with an overpair, which is what you're going to flop a good amount of time with queens. Um, that's you know, that's no reason to four bet, though, right? I mean, that's it's, it's just an unfortunate uh, SPR. It doesn't mean that you should do something different. But yeah. Um, all right, so I guess all things considered, I agree with the with just flatting here. We'll be out of position, which is no good. We have queens against a very aggressive opponent, which is good. So uh, I'm happy to uh, just call and see the flop. And you said it comes ten seven seven. Correct, ten seven seven. Two clubs. I have the queen of clubs. Okay, yeah, it's a um, great flop for us. We're happy. Yeah. I have no leads on this board, so I check, and he fires 4,500, so he down bets uh, roughly a third of pot, and I make the call. Okay. Uh, no problem with anything there. I mean, I don't see any reason to check raise. Uh, that seems silly because you are beat sometimes, uh, and you also lose him when he's bluffing if you do that. So, yeah, just call and let him bluff again on the turn if he wants to. Uh, we have backdoor outs to make a queen high flush and other things too. So, yeah, I'm happy with check calling here. Yeah, like obviously, you know, different parts of the game tree and on different board textures, it's going to be different. Uh, but in this exact scenario, when the board comes 10 7 7, obviously I've been overtaken by 10s. Aces and kings were always ahead of me. But what I want is a guy with ace king who's very aggressive to keep betting here because he might feel like actually he can. 
you know, with those good blockers, with the blocker for aces and kings, he can represent those hands and, and you know, get me off by the river. Um, also, I'm in a spot where, um, you know, I could be up against some junk as well. I, I think he, this guy in particular is very capable of having weak holdings, and I want to keep all of them in. Oh, yeah. When you're up against the table maniac, the best way to make money is to give him opportunities to continue bluffing. And especially, like, if you say, like, if he has a ace-king or really ace-anything with the ace of clubs, he's very likely to see bet this board and bet another club if it comes off, too. So... Uh, yeah, you don't want to scare him off. You don't want to rattle the cage. Just let him do what he does. Let him hang himself, as they used to say. Uh, For sure. Yeah. As so. you said, as you said there, that street is probably the least controversial. There's there's not much to talk about. You know, it would sort of be silly for me to do anything else. So we go to the turn, which was the two of clubs. So that does bring a third club on board. Uh, again, the fact that I have queen of clubs in my hand is is useful. Um, and again, I have no leads in this situation, so I check, and uh, he quite quickly makes it thirteen and a half thousand, which is um, about half the pot at that point. Was there about twenty, twenty four, twenty five in there? That's exactly right. I think there was probably twenty four or twenty five in there. So he's he's pretty much making it sixty percent. So he's kind of gone thirty percent, sixty percent, and I sort of have an inkling of what might be coming on the river as well. Yeah, it feels like he's setting himself up for. Uh a shove on the end right yeah yeah and I, I have to make peace with the fact that sometimes it's your time to die in tournament poker and if he had aces or kings well on this board I'm going to go broke and I, if I played it differently by four betting pre I was going to go broke so you know there there's no way of avoiding that situation obviously by allowing cards to come out I'm giving him two chances one an opportunity to make his hand and, and make a better hand that overtakes mine that may have folded at some point to counter aggression and then secondly I'm giving him the opportunity to get away on a scary run out where maybe perhaps uh, he would have been willing to get more chips in maybe if the board comes you know I don't know uh, a six of clubs and then a five of something you know then the board is very coordinated and maybe just maybe he'd be looking for uh, the exit yeah, that, that makes sense. Your logic is very sound there. Um, before we move on to the river, though, I just want to go back to something you said. Why do why do we have no leads on this uh, on this turn? Yeah, the turn puts three to a three to a flush out there. There are no hands in your range that want to bet the turn card. No, I don't think I want to bet a, a turn club too often here. Basically, because I can still bluff river if he doesn't bet turn with the portion of my range that would be wanting to bluff so so leading seems strange here if i do have a flush i i, I still think it's probably better like I, like i don't have too many flushes in this situation i maybe have like uh, the king queen of clubs or i might have the ace jack of clubs but it's going to be very hard for me to um sort of balance the range that i lead out with here and have the right number of bluffs and not sort of present a very appealing situation for him um, to, to, to to sort of make a good decision. What I want to do in this hand is to, to make it very hard for him to make a good decision. I want him to basically have this momentum of the pre-flop aggression and, and the flop aggression and maybe use this 
you know card particularly if he does have a one club hand like you said maybe he has the the ace-x of clubs um and, and i think that's a situation where he's absolutely going to have to try to, to to represent now and keep firing so again with him having the betting lead uh it, it just I don't think the board has changed enough for it to suddenly favour my range. I think maybe on a maybe on like an eight or a nine or possibly on a jack, it's a bit better. But I don't think just a, a club on its own is enough. Okay, yeah, I can go along with that. And generally speaking, when I have the table maniac on my left, I love to check to him. So that's what I would do here as well. Just check to him and let him bet again. So, uh, yeah, let's go on to the river. So, yeah, as you said, pot is roughly, um, I, I guess now we're getting close to 50K. It's probably, yeah, give or take 50K. And uh, the river comes to three of spades. So an absolute brick. You know, obviously he's capable of having some weird and wonderful hands um, that I can't predict uh, as the preflop aggressor who's maybe just, you know, look for barreling cards. But I, I can't imagine anything where this three helps. Um, no, it's, so a, I, it's a beautiful brick, yeah. Yeah, so so I'm pretty much decided I can't fold on this card, and I'm far too high up my range, given the fact that I would have uh, definitely four bet kings pre, and I would have four bet aces some percentage of the time pre. Um, then queens ends up being very high up my range. Obviously, tens is the the, the top of my range right now. Um, I don't have any sevens. I don't think maybe I have. Maybe I have seven, eight suited at a push. That's probably it, though. Like, I'd probably have seven, eight suited, and there's not too many combos of that. No, well, you have um, quads, don't you? I have quads, I guess, as well. That is true, too. So, I, I you know, I, there are some better hands, but, you know, Queens is obviously, you know, in pretty good shape here um, relative to the hands that I get to the river with. And given that the board is essentially run out clean and I'm up against a maniac who I believe is capable of doing this, uh, with the bluff, uh, I'm going to have to just, you know, accept this if he has me beat. And uh, but basically, my game plan throughout this hand has been to let him hang himself. So I'm not going to abandon chip on that plan now. And uh, we only have 44,000 behind. There's something like 50, 51,000 in the pot, so it's pretty well set up for a river shove. And it is a beautiful uh, tray of spades, so it's a perfect brick. And so we check, and does he, in fact, move all in? He does. He goes all in for, I think, according to the blog, it was 47K. So, you know, I might be getting my numbers a tiny bit off along the way, but I think we've pretty much nailed the sizings all the way as well. And I don't take much time at all, to be honest. I take maybe five or six seconds. And uh, as I said, I'd sort of made my decision up before you know, maybe I really made my decision up in a very substantial way before the flop as to what I was going to do on certain runouts, and this was definitely one of those runouts. So, uh, as I said, you know, maybe a quick couple of seconds to replay the hand in my mind, just double check I haven't, you know, neglected anything. And uh, and once that little bit of internal monologue was done, I, I put the chips in and was delighted to see that he showed up with the ace of hearts, five of clubs for a rather brave and creative line. It's got to be said, he, he didn't have, you know, particularly good blockers. That five of clubs isn't usually significant. And uh, I think he probably, it's fair to say, overplayed his hand to the max. 
Yeah, it's a very ambitious bluff by him, especially, I mean, obviously he doesn't know what your exact strategy was, but many players, yourself included, don't have any leads on the turn. Even when you make your flush, you're, you're going to check the turn. So he doesn't know what he's up against. He's just blindly hoping that whatever the heck you have, you're going to fold. And I, I guess this play will work some percentage of the time, but, it, you know, I, I feel like if you're going to play, you know, what Harrington would call long ball, you want to have the right kind of cards in your hand. As you mentioned, that five of clubs doesn't help at all. That ace of hearts is rather insignificant, although it makes it less likely that you have pocket aces, of course, but there's so many other hands that are in your calling range. Uh, it just feels like a very creative, as you say, uh, ambitious uh, bluff by him. And, you know, then in your shoes, it's one thing to have a plan to say, well, okay, I'm just going to keep checking and hoping this guy bluffs me again and again so I can keep calling him. And that's the game plan for the hand. But believe me, when you're sitting there and you're playing in a major tournament, it's an EPT main event, uh, It's it, there's one thing to have the thought in your mind. It's quite another thing to actually pull the trigger and make that call. It's not the, the easiest call, but David is a professional player and he, he had his, his plan, he had his strategy laid out. He didn't pick up anything in terms of tells or, or whatever that made him want to veer off from the strategy that he had already determined would be best on on this uh, in this situation versus this opponent. And he followed through with the plan and uh, worked out for him. He ended up winning a, a huge pot here. So good on you. Yeah, and I think you've hit the nail on the head there with the opponent-specific part of that most of all. I, I think that's probably the aspect of this that I focused on. I have definitely made fouls in this scenario against other villains on similar sorts of runouts with hands like you know, jacks and queens uh, in, in these types of spots where I really just genuinely felt like I was up against somebody who probably under-bluffed, if that makes sense. In this case, I was up against a guy I was very very confident and in fact the hand he showed up with proves the point that he overbluffs and really when you're up against a villain of that nature uh, who has position on you you have to basically decide that the way to skin that cat is to take a passive line and just keep pressing the call button and I, and I think that's sort of you know again we were talking about poker from yesteryear where a lot of hyper-aggressive players got their equity in poker in 08, 09, 2010 was because they would get the river fold there. They would keep applying the pressure and eventually the guy with the queens would go, oh, you must have aces and kings and they'd make the big fold. And that was an amazing way to print because not only, you know, almost the best case scenario for the guy, he didn't get the flop fold, he didn't get the turn fold, he got the river fold when the pot was really big and because he had the courage of his conviction to keep firing him in that spot, he ended up winning a big pot and they were the kind of pots that you saw hyper aggro laggy players uh, pick up over the course of a tournament which often made that the game du jour of the time the reality is we learned both by solver learning both by osmosis watching lots of poker players and sitting in tournaments for long periods of time finally by you know maybe seeing these guys show up with not the goods all the time um, as a poker public, we've converged on equilibrium. We've started to realize that against these kind of guys, we just have to, you know, strap in here and hit the call button. And, you know, if, if it happens to be one of the times he has the hand, we live with ourselves. But because he is that type of villain, there's no other route to take. Yeah, that type of villain. Now, not everybody has 
this gear. I mean, this guy was doing fine in this tournament. He had 70-some, almost 80 big blinds um, in level 9. So he's doing great. There's no reason for him to necessarily try so hard to wrestle this pot away from you come hell or high water. And yet he just kind of can't help himself. Now, you will play against some people in your career that once David calls twice on the flop and the turn, they just don't have that, you know, third barrel on the river, especially for all the all the money. Basically, his whole stack, almost, he had us barely covered, but they, he was left with just a, a tiny little stump, right? So some people don't have that gear. They'll, they'll never, or let's say at least almost never, uh, put in that third barrel. I, they tried twice to win the pot, and it's it's clear that David has something strong enough to call twice. What am I trying to bluff him off of with this third barrel? So I'm not even ever going to fire it. If you know you have that type of opponent, and that opponent fires, you can rest assured he's not bluffing and go ahead and throw away your queens, right? But against an opponent like this, I think you have to hang on for dear life. <laughs> Just don't let go of those queens. Put in the money and, and see what he's got. And here he shows you ace-five offsuit, no pair, no nothing, and you win a, a massive pot from it. Really well played. Yeah, and I, th- I think there's a final point maybe as well. From his perspective, one of the big flaws in his logic was not understanding the fact that somebody like me is going to take passive lines. Like, you know, he's probably discounted the possibility of a hand as strong as queens because he probably assumes that queens are in my four-bet range, that kings are in my four-bet range, that aces are 100% of the time in my four-bet range. In reality, those three hands in combination are probably only in my four-bet range half the time. Kings are there all the time. You know, queen uh, aces are there half the time and, uh, and queens aren't there at all. So he's probably made a, a, a misunderstanding of what my range looks like and he probably thinks I've got a 10 or I've got pocket jacks at best and you know there's not a huge difference between jacks and queens in this situation but ultimately for me when I make my calculation at the end I have to look at how far up my range I am and I'm actually quite far up it and I also feel like against this villain I just can't deviate from this passive calling strategy because that's the way you get those guys yeah you have to give them rope to hang themselves uh i've made so much money checking and calling versus loose aggressive opponents in my career i'm not going to stop now and at this situation i think that you set the trap perfectly and then you know you you stuck to your convictions and and didn't let it go just because the heat came down on the end so yeah good for you Nice yeah, hand. good for good for me, and I had a big stack after that hand, and uh, it lasted about an hour until I had mowed <laughs> down most of it. But uh, actually, actually, funnily enough, and ironically enough, trying a, an audacious enough bluff of my own, maybe an hour later in terms of play, just after dinner. So uh, I was getting a bit of uh, stick off Dara and my good friend Jason Tompkins, who's also here with us in Prague, uh, for uh, you know maybe. Uh, trying to trying i think the phrase they used was you tried to bluff a, a tilty moldovan and I, thought, <laughs> and, and I thought to myself in retrospect maybe he wasn't the best target for this bluff <laughs> yeah it's all about who who is the opponent right that yeah. always affects the way we play well this is great david uh really thank you for talking us through your thinking in this hand uh, of course we can all read poker news and find out what happened but it, to me it's always uh, a whole other level to be able to hear it from the player himself. What did you do and why? 
Um, so we mentioned you are on Twitter at DK Lappin. He is a great follow, guys. He's kind of snarky. He doesn't mind stirring the pot once in a while. And yeah, of course, I don't mind hearing what's going on at Unibet every so often as well. Um, you have two different podcasts. Can you quickly tell us what the difference between them is? I can, of course. So the Chip Race, which we started in 2015, uh, is formatted as a sort of five-act play, if you will. There are five segments, and we bounce around in a sort of a variety show format. We open usually with maybe 10 or 12 minutes of discussion about something that's topical in poker. At the time, maybe we bring on a sort of a journalist or a a media person for that. Uh, Then we have uh, probably my favorite section of the show, actually, which is our second guest, as we call them, where it's a lesser known figure from the industry who probably wouldn't get invited on a lot of the the big podcasts because they wouldn't be a big enough name on the tin. But in fact, they have a real story to tell and a great perspective on the game. And we try to shine a light on that sort of person as well in that bit of the show. There's a very brief news bit where we quickly run through the the news of the week. Uh, There's a phenomenal strategy segment that follows that. The show is about an hour and a half long in total. Strategy segment's probably about 15 minutes then Derek curates that we usually bring on a guest to look at a you know famous hand they played or a really interesting spot they put themselves in and uh, you know again usually quite a a big name uh, for those strategy segments in fact in future shows we've got Chris Moorman and Vanessa Cade talking about some really interesting hands they played and then the final part of the show which is the longest bit of the show about half an hour long is the main guest and that is somebody who's genuinely famous in the game that's a a big name person who we can sort of make the 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 face on the tin and uh and sell the show off and and they're usually a high roller or someone very well known maybe an old school person we put a big emphasis with that show on hitting all the demographics as i said it's a variety show so um you know men women old young online live We, we try to have a bit of everything media player it's all in there and then the other show is the lock-in which is a much more free-flowing show it's it's not edited and prepped quite as rigorously as the chip race um it's sort of myself and dara uh, with one guest you've been on the show clayton we, we thoroughly enjoyed you on it about i want to say two months ago um uh, so you know very well what we basically do is we bring a guest on we decide on maybe five or six topics of the of the past fortnight, whatever was big in poker news, usually something that we can take a deep dive into, something a bit meaty, something we can give out about and have a perspective on and maybe even have a bit of an argument or a debate about. And, uh, and, and that lasts about an hour. That's basically six topics, maybe 10 minutes each as we sort of um, uh, push our points of view and, and give our, our hot takes, if you will on what's going on in poker. So the two shows are very different, and I suppose that was important to us too. We didn't want to just make another show that's samey. We actually thought, well, what do we not do? And I I suppose we don't do punditry talking heads too much in the chip race, so we decided we'd put that into the lock-in. Yeah, I I was a guest, and thanks again for having me. I really enjoyed uh, coming on and, and, you know, delving into some of those hot-button topics with you guys. Um, I just want to say before we wrap up, David, I really appreciate you. I know we've been trying to schedule this for a while. I want to thank you for your flexibility and finally being able to find the time after a long day of playing in a high roller to speak with little old me for a bit. I really do appreciate it, sir. Not at all. It is very late where I am right now. It's 3.30 a.m., but I have a beautiful view. I'm, I'm staring out 
over. I don't know if any of you out there have ever been to the Hilton in Prague. It's a beautiful hotel. It's got this sort of domed roof, domed glass roof. And I'm on the top floor where I figured I would get the least amount of noise in the background. And I'm staring out over all the madness beneath and the poker room is sort of contained in the floor even beneath that again so it's a, it's quite the spectacle and uh, yeah i hope i hope the sound quality has been good enough because unlike when i'm back home and i have the good audio equipment that i use for my own show you've been very good to do this with a sort of a, a mobile skype sort of situation uh, but uh, i yeah look i'm delighted to, to be on your show I, i'm a big fan of your show I, I think you do tremendous work clayton and uh i have never been to see you uh do stand-up comedy so the next time i'm in new york or wherever you happen to be i i hope i can uh, get myself on the guest list for that too yeah for sure i'll get you comp tickets anytime you're in town my friend and yeah well, we the, could hear the, the we could hear the noise just a little bit but you know to me it adds to the to the atmosphere you know yeah, we're, we're talking to someone who's in Europe. You know, we're just hearing the the sounds of the Czech Republic in the background. Beautiful. Yeah, I like that. And you know what? As well, if you cop me a ticket, I'm good value because I buy a lot of drinks. <laughs> there you go. As we said, not changing any stereotypes people might have about the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> they just. I threw you up that little softball for the ending, you know, it's just perfect. <laughs> um, no, nothing like having a true professional on as my guest. Well, David, uh, anything else you want people to know before we say goodbye? Not at all. No, I, I want them to, uh, I hope that they've enjoyed the hand and uh, I, I want them to hit me up on Twitter at DK Lappin if they want to ask me about the hand or about anything else uh, as well. And uh, yeah, no, just really delighted to have been invited as a guest on your fantastic show. Well, the pleasure's all mine, David, and we wish you good luck in uh, day two tomorrow of your high roller out there in Prague. Thanks so much. So for David Lappin and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge. I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Camper.